Welcome to the Fathom Academy podcast, a podcast designed for the people of Fathom Church to be resourced to go deeper with God. I'm Kyle Knight, I'm the youth and digital minister here at Fathom. Thank you for listening in wherever you are. Uh, today we are going to continue a topic that we've been talking about here at Fathom for a few weeks now, and that topic is transgenderism or transgender identities. If you're with us a few weeks ago on Palm Sunday, actually, we started um, a new series here called Trending, where um, maybe a few times a year in between other sermon series, uh, we we want to take a little bit of time to look at hot topics in our in our society, in our culture, things going on in our world, in our nation. Um, and we want to see what the Bible has to say about these topics. And then how do we as Christians respond um, to what is going on with, with grace and with truth? And so today we're going to continue on the topic of transgenderism. And I know, church, you've been hearing a lot of um, myself and Pastor Chris, mainly Pastor Chris, talk um, on this topic. So we wanted to bring in um, somebody else that we can learn from. And so today we have Jen Oshman with us today. Welcome, Jen. Thank you for being here. Thanks so much for having me. Um, and of course, Pastor Chris is here as well. I'm really the color commentary today. Like my <laughs> my goal is to crack jokes and, and you know. Isn't that usually your goal <laughs> most times? I'm an Enneagram <laughs> three, so that's all I'm about. Yeah, it's just, you know, meaningless jokes. That's That's what I'm yeah. not here for. Well, thank you for being here. You're welcome. You're welcome. Jokes. Yeah. Um, but uh, let me tell you just a little bit about Jen really quick so you could um, get to know her uh, and then we'll get into some questions and discussions. Now, I know this is not everything, uh, but some highlights. Jen is a Colorado native married to Mark with four daughters. Um, Jen has spent some time in Japan doing mission work. Her and her family have served um, as church planters in Europe. And now church planters here in Parker, Colorado, where um, they have planted and pastor Redemption Parker, another Acts 29 church. So some of you listening might know that church. Um, Jen is also an author. Her first book titled Enough About Me, Finding Lasting Joy in the Age of Self is out now. And we will link to that book and where you can pick that up in our show notes below. Um, and she's currently working on her next book that will give you a chance to talk about that at the, at the end here. And if that wasn't enough, Jen hosts her own podcast called all things where, um, I think just a little bit ago, she also tackled this topic of transgenderism on her own podcast and we'll link to that as well. So, um, there's probably a lot more. Is there anything else? about you that you'd like our listeners to know. <laughs> That's perfect. I feel right at home here. Thank awesome. you. Awesome. Good. Uh, so thank you again for, for being here to talk about this topic. I'm sure our church um, will love to learn a lot more um, so we could educate our church more about this and how we as Christians can continue to show love and grace um, to those in this area and in this community. So, um, so let's get into it today. We're going to, we're going to focus on transgenderism today. Um, and specifically, we talked a little bit about this before, uh, kind of diving into this phenomenon that we call rapid onset gender dysphoria, what that is, um, and specifically that in relation to young teenage girls. Um, and so uh, first things first, Jen, uh, can you can you talk a little bit to us about the trans movement today? Um, what that kind of looks like, what its effect on Christians specifically, and maybe even more specifically on young teenage girls. 
Sure. Yeah. So you're right. When you introduced me, um, you said I have daughters. That's correct. I have four daughters and they range in age from 13 to 23. Um, not only that, but I've been in women's ministry now for more than 20 years. So I have just a heart for women, a heart for girls that that is very much the focus of my life and has been now for over two decades. So that's really where I'm coming from as, as, a, as a Christian women's minister and as a mom of girls, as a, a woman who wants to see girls and women thrive. Um, that's what brings me to this moment of being curious, concerned, burdened, and um, just having a desire and a heart to see um, girls and women thrive rather than languish. And I think we're seeing a lot of languishing, mm-hmm. not just here in 2021, but over the last several decades. There are so many idols of our age that woo women and girls, and they promise life, but they deliver death. And that's what we see with rapid onset gender dysphoria. And, and, but that's not the, like, that is like step 100. Mm-hmm. There has been 99 steps before this moment. And so I do think it's important that we, we, when we recognize that there's this phenomena happening and that's real and we can get into those statistics and what's been taking place over the last decade in just a minute. But when we, when we sort of are alarmed all of a sudden, like what is happening here? So there is a trend that is strong. What's going on? Well, it didn't come out of a vacuum. And so we do need to press the pause button and back up and go, okay, well, where did this come from then? Hmm. And I'm sure pastor Chris, you've talked about this in your sermons, but I mean, we can, on the one hand, we can go all the way back to the fall, right? We can go back to Adam and Eve in the garden and their questioning of God's good design and their um, their idea that perhaps they know better. And, you know, did God really say that? Yeah. I don't know if he really said that. Maybe we know better, right? Mm-hmm. So we can go all the way back to the beginning with our theology and our understanding of creation. Um, but we can also go back just in Western civilization a few hundred years and several decades to get a better understanding of where we're at. So, I mean, if we were to go back a few hundred years, we could go back to the enlightenment, which is when really like we sort of began to triumph science over spirituality. And really they go hand in hand. Science and spirituality are are from the same basket because they have the same maker, the same creator. But it was then in the 1700s where we started to say, no, we any spiritual formation is less than. So we're going to triumph science. And then we we embraced um, evolution, the theory of evolution. And so that as we as a Western people started to say, you know what, everything's chance and mutation. There is no sovereign God. There is no goodness behind creation. Then that is really where this sort of age of self, as I call it, took root. It's like we have to define ourselves because because nobody created us. Nobody authored our life. We are our author. And that way of thinking has been around now for a few hundred years. Um, And then a few decades ago, 50 years or so ago with the sexual revolution, things started to change even more quickly. You know, we realized sex is a really good gift and it began to be seen as the ultimate gift in Western civilization. And so as a people, we we said, we're not here for any purpose. So let's get all we can out of life while we're here. Sex is awesome. So let's get as much of that as we can. And it became, we convinced each other that that's our highest good. That's our deepest need. And so the sexual revolution really began to transform the way we see the purpose of life and the meaning of life and who we are. So this age of self of like, I've got to define myself coupled with sex being our highest good has really created the perfect storm to the point now where the sexual, we've had this revolution with new iterations new, you know, we're, um, 
we're multiple iterations into the sexual revolution yeah. now. Mm-hmm. So the conversation we're having in 2021 is not even the conversation we were having in 2015 That's right. or 2012. So I just feel like we, ha- we do have to go back a little bit. I don't know. Do you mm-hmm. want to chime in here? Yeah, Chris? I think that's so one of the things that I said in the sermon was um, the ironic thing about the specifically if we're talking about transgender movement and transgender identities and gender dysphoria and gender fluidity and all these things is um, I think from a biblical perspective, I would say that um, we are not completely defined by our biological sex, but we cannot be defined completely apart from our Mm, biological sex. And so it's really interesting to think about the amplification of sex and identity in the sexual revolution. And then the, this iteration of kind of the next iteration of, of development in the sexual revolution is almost to say you can, you can transcend your Mm. biological sex. And it just, it's, it's almost ironic because the pendulum has swung to sex doesn't matter anymore. Biology doesn't matter anymore. Science doesn't even matter anymore. It has become completely anti-enlightenment in a very bizarre way. And so even as we're starting to talk about um, how it is trending and kind of self-actualization and you do you and all of these sorts of mantras that are prevalent in pop culture, um, to, to just point out in some ways the, the, the insanity. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, I don't want to be disparaging towards people, but right. there's not a lot of like in my research on the, on the transgender movement. Um, and, and I guess we could say this for other movements when you talk about sanctity of life and so on and so forth, science is no longer the, the gold standard even. Right. Like the, the revolution has bypassed science mm-hmm. to just pure existential realities that one individually experiences. Yeah. As opposed to any sort of like truth, you know, pre-enlightenment was the scriptures, post-enlightenment was the scientific revolution, and now it's ambivalent. Yeah. I mean, it's wherever. Yeah. Yeah. I think now it is couched a lot in you do you itself, you know, we've sort of gone through this spirituality, science, now self is, is our God. Um, and it's a terrible weight to bear. Mm-hmm. It's just a terrible weight to bear. We, when we say to each other, you need to look within yourself to determine who you are, you invent yourself. Then you're required to conjure up the energy and the meaning and the power to realize who you are and to make yourself happen. And it puts us in the seat of our sovereign God and we cannot bear this weight. And so it's, it's not just a sexual revolution, but just this whole age of self where we have to be self-dependent and we're seeing it, you can you see it anecdotally and you see it in the sci- in the sociological research it's killing us yeah. we are not well because human well-being must must thri- must be in line with reality we will not go well if we do not line ourselves up with what is real and so um we're seeing just incredible harm in terms of people having to be self-actualizing yeah. it's it's not good for us so so I guess to get back to your original question, Kyle, <laughs> now that we have that background, uh, and I do, I appreciate your heart, Chris. And I also just want to say that, you know, in my life in women's ministry and as a mom and as somebody who interacts with a ton of women, when I talk about this, I'm talking about friends. I'm talking mm-hmm. about women I have discipled who have transitioned to being men mm-hmm. who are, who were once in um, heterosexual marriages, but are now in homosexual relationships. I'm talking about women who I love and care for. And so I know that this issue, like the LGBTQIA spectrum plus 
is so diverse. So I know in this specific episode, we're just going to dip our toe into the mm-hmm. waters of yeah. rapid onset gender dysphoria. And so I think it's just important to say that at the beginning that um, this is a specific niche conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, I know the three of us in here just want to be seasoned mm-hmm. with grace and kindness and compassion because people are hurting, people are suffering. Um, and there are, and there are all kinds of roots to that suffering, but we, we want to speak with compassion about it. But so rapid onset gender dysphoria. Yeah, That was my next question was let's, let's dive into that. And okay. can you educate us on what it is, um, and why it's different than, mm-hmm. um, I guess just regular transgenderism. Right. Right. Yeah. So traditional gender dysphoria or early onset gender dysphoria is something that is marked by um, from early childhood, a person feeling really uncomfortable in their gender, like an, a knowledge and an awareness of a toddler even that my body is not right and that there is something there's something wrong with me. And so um, that obviously is heartbreaking. Any parent who witnesses their child suffering with something like that, of course, you your heart goes out to them and you would need to seek all kinds of treatment from a medical professional if they're therapists, spiritual counselors, mm-hmm. and otherwise, you know, so that's early onset gender dysphoria, which is something different. Rapid onset gender dysphoria sort of came on the scene within the last decade. And um, sociological researchers, specifically a woman out of Brown University, noticed this crazy spike, this like sudden spike in typically white teenage girls claiming to feel dysphoric about their gender, saying, I don't feel like a girl. So what's really interesting is that prior to 2012, there is no no record in the scientific and medical literature about this being an issue with girls ages 11 to 21. There's not an article. There's not a study. Like This was not something we were talking about prior to 2012. Since 2012, Research shows or this evidence shows for Western countries, specifically like the United States, Canada, England, um, some of Europe, for Western nations, depending on the nation, there has been a 1,000 to 5,000 percent increase in the number of teen girls seeking treatment at gender clinics for their gender dysphoria. So we just have this sudden huge spike in girls saying, I feel like I'm actually a boy. So obviously this is there's this is something unique. This is not the traditional issue that we're talking about here. So the sociologists who are studying it, the clinicians who are studying it have realized there is a social contagion piece to it. That this is happening in clusters. It's happening amongst usually teen girls, though definitely it happens amongst teen boys as well. But it's happening w- within cliques, girls who are friends who are spending time together. It's sort of catching. And we've seen this before in issues of anorexia Mm -hmm. and cutting. So we've seen those things be contagious as well in recent history. Um, So this appears to be another situation where teen girl, you know, one teen girl will say, I'm feeling this, and then her friends are feeling it as well, and it sort of spreads that way. So that's how rapid onset gender dysphoria is very different. It's not an isolated, you know, lonely struggle of one person, but it's it's a social situation. Yeah, and I think it, can I... I in my reading uh, on rapid onset gender dysphoria, it I think it's worthwhile to to note that there are people across the spectrum that are very concerned about this, 
it's not just kind of conservative Christians who are like, well, what, this seems bizarre. Like many prominent leaders in the trans movement and the trans community are very, con and deeply concerned about this as well. Mm -hmm. um, those critical feminists are deeply concerned about this and kind of uh, what it is, what kind of disparagements it is, it is feeding into women, womanhood and mm -hmm. feminism and like thing. So, so it's not, this is not just a topic that, you know, we're kind of waving our little Christian flag on. This is a very concerning movement kind of across the spectrum. Yeah. Uh, and, and not everybody is, 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 has bought into this as a concern point, mm -hmm. uh, which is unfortunate, but it certainly is not, this isn't like our hobby horse mm -hmm. piece. And I just, I feel like that's helpful because mm -hmm. When, when people in the movement that we are maybe being, I hope, uh, graciously critical of are starting to be like, yeah, this is concerning. I, I think that, again, is another flare that's being shot up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And we will, maybe you're going to get into this a little bit more, Kyle, but the the sort of best practices when it comes to gender dysphoria mm -hmm. is that teen girls are really self-diagnosing. They're going to their teachers or their counselors or their therapists and they're saying, I have gender dysphoria. And then the response is to be 100% gender affirming. Mm -hmm. That is what is considered best practices, whether it's a medical professional, a school professional, or somebody in a clinic um, or a counselor's office, is to be totally gender affirming. And so this is where what you point out, Pastor Chris, this is where it gets to be really concerning because girls are coming in with a variety of concerns. There's probably anxiety. There's probably depression. There's probably other issues at play. And she's saying, no, it's gender dysphoria. And then counselors, teachers, doctors are jumping on board and saying, well, we've got to fix that. Yeah. And, and so the concern is they're zeroing in on this one issue and missing so many others. Right. And they're um, providing treatment that's irreversible in a lot of situations. And so that's why the, the alarm is being sounded across the spectrum. Well, and that's where, you know, just in the news this last week with uh, in Arkansas with they, 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 I think there was a piece of legislation that banned all kind of uh, uh, treatments, medical treatments, medical uh, goodness. I, I'm just blanking on terms here, but for uh, minors and then right. it was reversed or so, mm -hmm. I mean, it's been, it, it's kind of this ongoing back and forth fight, uh, the conversation piece around these are medically ir sometimes irreversible, sometimes right. uh, very problematic, not just hormone blockers and, and, and things like that, which are concerning uh, in and of themselves, but a full on push towards um, a helping and encouraging gender exploration and even transitioning at very, I mean, scary young ages. Yeah. Yeah. Can I ask this? What do you have a, a hunch or a thought or even maybe research that you've read around um, why you think this trend is heightened among girls? Hmm. Um, I think that's a really important question. You know, I, I'm thinking about it all the time as a mom of girls. I think there's a number of things at play, but the social piece is big because girls are very social. Um, every teenage girl wants the approval of her peers and every teenage girl wants to know she's, um, special or, you know, worthwhile. She's mm -hmm. worthy. I mean, he, every human wants that. Right. Um, but I think, uh, um, girls are especially looking for the affirmation and encouragement of their, mm -hmm. of the girl, other women in their life. Yeah. So we're, we're raising kids now in a context in public schooling where we are teaching them that their sex and their gender and their identity and their various expressions can all be in different columns. We're saying it's kind of 
um, I don't know if you touched on this in your ser- sermon, but it's like a, a new form of Gnosticism mm-hmm. where we're separating body and soul yeah. or mind and body and saying these are these can be different. But the truth is we are embodied souls. We are mm-hmm. unified human beings, but they're learning from their earliest ages in kindergarten, whether it's through the gender unicorn or the gender bred man or woman or whatever it's called. Um that you can you're you can express all of these things differently. So that's sort of this foundational framework that's being laid. And then there's of course holidays and parades and celebrations for various LGBTQ identities e- even in the elementary school years. Mm-hmm. And then um, social media is playing a huge role. Yeah. And I think that's part of why it's especially um, attractive to girls is because girls are online. Um, girls are on their phones. I mean, gosh, I wish the the research was fresh in my mind. Um, but when I was writing this second book, I think it's something like nine hours a day. Girls are mm. online nine hours a day mm. for not non-academic purposes. Mm. So not for their homework, yeah. but nine hours a day online, whether that's YouTube, um, tutorials, you know, or it's um, just shows or on social media with their friends, but nine hours a day. So our girls are being deeply discipled by the internet yeah. and whatever they're consuming online. So, um, and YouTube has been a huge platform for gender transitioners. Yeah. And it's been a way that many YouTube stars have gained fame and no- notoriety is they go online and share very, you know, authentically and transparently the struggles that they were feeling, the way they felt dysphoric in their own bodies. And then the, they they show openly like how they went through the process of transitioning, everything from like breast binders to um, puberty blockers to hormone therapy. And you see their face, you see their tears, you see their joy, you see their testimonies that things like testosterone really saved their lives is what is what many will say. Um, and you can't help but get swept up in, oh, my goodness, look at the salvation that was brought for these people who were near suicide and now are just elated with joy because they have transitioned to now being male. And girls are watching that and it's affecting them. It's discipling them. Yeah. It's a very powerful um, presentation of why you should seek uh, to seek out your own gender transition. Of course, what's not shown <laughs> is the regret yeah. and the number of de-sisters, de- as they're called, they desist in their transition or they detransition. That number is climbing every day. And there are women who transition to being men who are now in their 20s and 30s going, that was terrible. Mm. I wrecked my body. You wrecked my body. You encouraged me to wreck my body. And I want to go back. And they are trying to go back or they can't go back depending on what, you know, steps they took. But um, what YouTube is not highlighting, what's not popular, what doesn't gain the viral following is the regret. Mm -hmm. And that regret Mm -hmm. is very real and it's increasing. Yeah. So to answer your question, why girls? I do think the social media piece is huge. Mm -hmm. The affirmation of your friends is huge. And then, you know, we have to be honest. There is growing despair amongst our teen girls because of this age of self, because we've said you got to make yourself. No, you're not created by a God in heaven. You're created on your own. You know, we've we've pulled out the rug from under them. All that's good and beautiful and true in creation. We've taken from them and we've said, you go figure it out calling that freedom and liberation and empowerment when really it's poison for their souls. So we're dealing with a population of young girls who are very discouraged because they don't have the scaffolding of their creator and their Mm -hmm. community that they were made to have. And so 
in their discouragement and despair, they're crying out. And the loudest answer is from the gender dysphoria community. The current quick answer online is from that community. Mm. Um, and that's, that's tragic. I'm not trying to take all the questions here. I'm just, there's Go things that it. are coming in my brain here. <laughs> yeah. Um, will you, will you address Jen, the, the, what, so, so my, I, I, you know, I've got multiple thoughts in terms of why, why girls. And one of my thoughts is I still think culturally men are seen as superior than women in, in so many different ways. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that the church has had some historically very unhealthy responses mm -hmm. to this. And I think there have been some historically very healthy, like I think doctrinally, theologically, the, the roles and the, 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 the benefits of complementary relationships between men and women, I think are, it's a beautiful picture, but um, I do also wonder how much kind of the pop culture version of women as kind of lesser than and men as more than kind of plays into mm -hmm, this mm -hmm. and why more perhaps girls are being tantalized by the prospect of, I don't have to be the, the damsel. I don't have mm -hmm. to be the weak. I don't have to be beholden to, you know, afraid to walk to my car at night sort of things. Can you speak maybe into that? Yeah. And I might be way off, but no, that feels not. like something uh, as I'm raising, raising my daughter yeah. that I want to, in, in, you know, I want to be healthily feministic for yeah, her in good. that way. No, I think you absolutely hit the nail on the head and I'm glad you brought it up because I failed to include that in my last answer, but that is a huge part of it. Um, in fact, so to sort of take that to an extreme, I think you are right. Yes, there are many ways that our current contact, you know, raising four girls has opened my eyes anew to that reality. And I certainly don't want them to view themselves as a victim, but I also want them to be well aware of like, you're walking into situations where you're going to be viewed as less than, or you're going to be viewed as less qualified. So how can I prepare you for that? To walk in with your shoulders back and your head high um, as a woman who knows her worth in her creator and maker, not her own conjuring up. Yeah. How can I prepare you for that moment? So um, that is true. So, but to take it to sort of an extreme and what we're seeing increasingly, especially over the last 10 years, last 15 years, is the prevalence of pornography online. Mm -hmm. So porn is increasingly available on everybody's smartphone, including children. And it's also increasingly violent. So a lot of research that I um, delved into as I was preparing for my second book um, for this very question showed me how just ever present violent porn is and children are consuming it at increasingly young ages. So girls are seeing themselves depicted on the screen as victims of violence. Mm. And, and when I'm, and I'm not just talking, it's porn is no longer just sexual from what I'm told and what I've read um, about the research, but it is very violent and women are horrifically treated. So girls are seeing that at a young age and they're going, mm -mm, not me. I will not be that girl. I, I, I will be the boy. Mm. I'll be the man because I'm not letting that happen to me. Yeah. So these, these issues are directly related to one another. And that is another tragedy. And again, it's, yeah. it's an online issue that we as parents, as pastors, as youth um, pastors, we need to be ready to be battling with and figuring out how are we going to walk with our kids through this situation. Um, and to, to sort of relatedly, um, Another thing that I find just really fascinating and discouraging in this whole phenomena is that um, when girls 
say, hey, I don't feel comfortable in my body. What they're hearing from teachers, counselors, doctors, therapists is, yeah, you know, you like the color blue. You're good at math. You're really into sports. You must be a boy. You're right. You're a boy. And I find the whole movement to be wildly regressive. And I think it's so bizarre that we're told like, no, this is progressive. This is freedom seeking. This Mm -hmm. is self-actualizing when really it's like, no, these stereotypes are silly. <laughs> Where yep. this is this is not only um, going back in time. You know, this is not only going going backwards. This is going back to like just something that's arbitrary that's and right. dumb. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. since when? What is? What are you talking about? So you know, I have a daughter who's excellent at math and science, and um, it, it, and for her to be told that's not feminine. Yeah, I'm so I don't know. Yeah, that's this the is deep. Dumb. That's one of the deep ironies that we pointed out in the sermon. Yeah, is that. The, the stereotypes that are regressive, that are kind of leave it to beaver 1950s caricatures mm-hmm. of men and women and their roles in society are used on both sides yeah. of the spectrum, right? The, on, on the on the real kind of old school side, it's, oh, you know what? Just act like a boy. Just, you know, don't cry. Don't, you, oh, you throw like a girl. Stop throwing like, a, you know, rub some dirt on it. But then the, uh, the progressive side says, oh, you throw like a girl? Mm-hmm. Oh, maybe you should explore that. Yeah. You know, I mean, right. but it's both using exactly the it term is. regressive, anecdotal, old school caricatures of what it means to be a man or a woman, which is a, it exacerbates the problem immensely. Yeah. It does. And as, as believers, as followers of Christ and people who uphold the word of God, it's so important that we go back to his word mm-hmm. and realize that there is nothing in there. Nothing in the word of God about science and blue and sports being male. Um, You know, these are just silly cultural creations that serve an agenda that are not helpful. They're so damaging. Yeah. Well, and to go kind of in that direction, um, let's talk about from a church perspective. So how, how can the church do better at discipling girls and women specifically around this topic and like how do how do we disciple godly young girls and and godly women how Mm -hmm. does the church do that yeah well i think that we have to do a better job of just valuing and loving theology and and the Mm -hmm. theology of creation and the theology of the sovereignty and the goodness of our god i feel like if we if we even for a second pretend that our ideas, our culture, this cultural moment is somehow superior mm-hmm. to the eternal and good word and character of our God, then we just get off the rails. And really that's that's the, the very root. That's sort of the underneath foundation of this whole conversation is that we somehow know better that the word of God has is sort of irrelevant now. Um, it's passe. It can't really answer these questions in 2021. These questions are too progressive, too hard. Mm-hmm. The Bible doesn't speak to them, you know? Um, and I think there's so many of us in the pews and in church leadership that think that. Mm-hmm. I think that this cultural moment is very powerful and Christian leaders are very susceptible to going with the winds of change. And to be thrown about and tossed, like James, the Apostle James says, mm-hmm. rather than saying, no, God really did say these good things. And so we, as ministers of the gospel, have to decide who will we serve? Mm-hmm. Are we willing to pay a price in this moment to say, I stand on the word of God. I don't follow the shifting sands of this cultural moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that I think we are just witnessing our brothers and sisters choosing to follow the, the spirit of the age rather than the spirit of God. And that is 
grievous. And I think they will come to regret it. Not only that, but they'll harm one another. They'll harm their church communities Mm. in the process. So I think at this moment, we as ministers, as well as just Christians, we have to make a decision. Who are you going to trust? Where are you going to put your hope? What is timeless and true? And when we decide that it's the word of God, then we go, okay, no looking back. I lay myself down. I submit to the authority and the goodness and the grace and mercy of Jesus, my maker and savior. And whatever he wants to do, my life is in his hands. I will not be conformed to this world, but I will be transformed by him and whatever he wants to do. So we've got to start there. I think just in our churches is going, the word of God is good and the character of God is good. And we can trust him because look what he has already done for us. Yeah, He is a good, kind savior king. Um, and then I think too, really taking it back to creation, to teaching our kids, our, our, even our little toddlers and our elementary age and up through high school and reminding ourselves as parents and adults that God, what God created was good and he created us male and female and that is good. And because like girls are being discipled by online content, so are we. Like how many hours a day am I on my phone? I'm not going to look at my screen time right now. I don't want to know. <laughs> um, but we're also being discipled. So we're hearing these messages every day. We've got to remember he really did create us male and female, and it really is good. And just renewing our minds to a good um, you know, ethic of of creation, what it means to be created beings who embody our souls yeah. and what, you know, what the goodness of marriage, the goodness of singleness, there's, we could go on and on, but just renewing our minds with the word of God and, and maybe maybe zooming out from like, when I talk to my, we talk with our girls about this stuff at the dinner table every single day. I mean, every day it's like a debrief. What happened at school? What's going on with your friends? What, you know, whether it's from the right or the left, the progressive or the regressive or the conservative or whatever, like just debriefing it. Um, and zooming out a little bit getting Mm -hmm. out of the weeds and going, okay, what, who is God? What's his character? What's his nature? What does he have to say about these things? I hope that's helpful. Yes. Yeah, and I think, mm-hmm. and I and I totally agree. And I think it, it comes back to what you said earlier about even the the Gnostic myth, right? Like First Corinthians six, the the whole idea that Paul's like, you just can't separate your spirit from your body and and allow for you know, kind of excuses to be made around. Well, this doesn't really affect me. You know, the the my spirit's okay. My body is just. I mean, that's how the Corinthian church were justifying their sexual perversions. And so this isn't just about transgenderism. Right. And it's not just about teens even. It's about all of us saying, well, you know, my porn habit's not affecting anybody. Right. It's just, it, it really, you know what, it's, and and it it just is a little release. It's just my little, oh, you know what, I drink a little bit too much, but it's really not that big of a deal because, you know, it's just, it might be, you might, might be giving me a beer gut, but I'm not, you know, a drunk. I'm mm-hmm. not off the mm-hmm. charts, you know, uh, I think very quickly we can start to use that 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 Gnostic myth as something to excuse non-Christian poor behavior. I mean, all all sorts of things where we begin to say, "Yeah, my body really doesn't matter." Yeah, even even eating, even exercise, like uh, on both sides, obesity and then the 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 s- enslavement to self-image and mm-hmm. self-betterment in you know the gym or whatever. Goodness gracious, I think there's a lot of really deep conversations, really important conversations happening both in our youth groups, but then also in our women's groups, in our yeah. men's groups, in our in our discipleship groups. These things matter. Your body matters. Yeah. I love that Preston Sprinkle's book was called Embodied because I know he's tackling the topic of transgenderism, but the larger topic is we are connected. Like the things that we do in our soul 
affect our bodies and vice versa. The things you do to your body affects your heart. Yeah, that's really good. There's one thing I want to share with you guys that I learned from Sam Alberry in his book, um, Why Does God Care Who I Sleep With? Um, I just felt this was so powerful. He says, the most important thing about you is not who you love, but who loves you. So in this age of self, in this age of, you know, hypersexualization, we say what matters most is who I love. Who am I with? What's my identity? What's my relationship status? That's what matters the most. And Sam says, no, what matters most is who loves you. And that is God himself. That is your creator and your maker. So when we root our identity in this, in, in this moment of our feelings and who we are today, that will crush us. But when we root our identity in the eternal, all good, all loving God, we will not be shaken. Mm. And I think that's what we need to return to in this conversation and so many others. Yeah. And, and my next question was on, we talked about a little bit from the church and you've hinted on this a few times, but parenting, Mm. how, how do we have this conversation with our kids? What's, what's the best way to parent our kids during this time? Yeah. With this topic. Sure. Well, I think from a really practical perspective, we do need to decide who's going to disciple our kids. Is it going to be their smartphones mm-hmm. or is it going to be me? Mm-hmm. And I, and that is going to be a very time consuming and hard choice that parents need to make. And um, I, I find myself wrestling with it every day. Am I going to, you know, leave my agenda and my to-do list and enter into my kids' worlds or not? Yeah. And we get one shot and we are not God. It's not on us. This is all by his grace. But we do have to steward the lives that are before us. And how will we steward them and how will we shepherd them? And so I think, um, you know, making some decisions that will be very unpopular and very unlike all of your kids' friends and all of your kids' friends' parents. Um, and that is significantly limiting online exposure yeah. and choosing that this is this is not a force for good. Um, and just being really aware, checking our kids' phones. I check my kids' phones all the time. I know exactly mm-hmm. what's going on on there. Um, thankfully, their dad is super tech savvy, so they cannot get anything past him. <laughs> Praise <laughs> the Lord. Help us. May that continue to be true, uh, as far as I know, anyway. Um, but just being really involved, but then also just sitting around the dinner table. Like, we are such a busy people. Before the pandemic, we were all running a crazy, insane rat race, and we don't need to live like that. The I hope that the pandemic showed us that sitting down and, and eating slowly around the table is really for our good and taking advantage of those moments where we can just talk through and not being scared as parents, not being afraid of this, but going, I have a God who has answers. I might not know what it is right now, but mm-hmm. let's pray about it. Let me tell you um, in humility that I'm not quite sure, but let's wrestle with this together. So it's going to be really, it's going to require intentionality and humility I think we as parents need to be approaching all of this with a ton of compassion, knowing that our kids, good friends have transitioned already Mm -hmm. or they're wrestling with it. Mm -hmm. So our opinion compared to those friends opinions is going to be lame. They're not Mm going to trust us. They're going to trust their friends. So we need to be speaking not dogmatically, but with a lot of compassion, not um, ashamed of our bedrock of truth, but also speaking in a way that's gracious and kind Mm -hmm. and winsome, wooing our children. Um, into our families, into our homes, but also to our God himself. Mm. Um, I think, yeah, that's, that's a start. And in choosing a church, a community of friends, I, I would never encourage a family to shelter their children inside a Christian bubble. I don't think that's biblical or right, mm. but to choose your church and your friends and the people who are inputting into your kid's life carefully, choosing people who are firm in their faith as well. Yeah, here's just a real practical piece. Uh, I, I agree completely yeah with that um we have we have and i think as as children grow i think we want to have age-appropriate conversations with them 
each step of, along mm -hmm. the way from very young all the way up. Uh, one of the things, and I'm sure many have heard of this resource, but the story of me is, um, is a really helpful series of books. I think there's four books that work from literally a picture book all the way up to like junior high, high school kind of books that are, we, we bought the story of me and we read it to Harper for her, you know, when she was two and when she was three and, when, and, and still it talks about boys. It talks about girls. It talks about where, where marriage, it talks about why do I have, you know, private parts. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it, it, very pragmatically, very tactically, you can begin to read some of these conversations into uh, your your children at an early age, and we we can link to that in the show notes as well. But it's a there's there are resources out there where you don't just have to like have the talk with yeah. your kid when they turn thirteen or something like that. But you can be having talks all through life with them at age appropriate ways, and, and begin to engage them in these topics of gender and of sex and of marriage and of you know all kind of exploration, all of these things need to be talked about. And if you, if you think it's time to talk about it, you're probably already a little bit behind the ball. Like you've got to start, I mean, as soon as they can read, as soon yeah. as you're reading with them, reading to them. So. Agreed. Absolutely. Well, Chris, that was all the specific questions I had. Did you have anything else? Um, anything else that we're missing that we're I, maybe, maybe this asking? is, maybe that's for Jen. Jen, yeah. what, 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 what else, what, what haven't we talked about? What, I mean, last question maybe is tell us what we should be thinking about if we're not thinking about it right now. I, I mean, I think that we've covered it. I just want to encourage the listeners of this podcast to, um, I know this is hard. Like, I don't, is there anything harder in this cultural moment? I don't know that there is. Yeah. I don't know if there, there's mm -hmm. anything more divisive that makes you more nervous, more afraid of the price that you'll pay for holding to a certain belief. And so I think we just want to acknowledge that while we've we've spoken deeply about it for at least the last half hour or so, we know that that when when the rubber hits the road in your boardroom at work or in the classroom or wherever you are, this is going to be difficult. And so my encouragement is to not believe us, but to believe the Lord, yeah. you know, not cling to this podcast, but to cling mm -hmm. to the word of God. He really is enough. His grace really is sufficient and you can trust him. Um, there's so many beautiful stories in the New Testament of the apostles and followers of Christ laying down their lives for what's true and what's good and serving others sacrificially. So let's follow that. Let's let's walk in the footsteps of our Savior and his church and know that we will be blessed for doing that. Yeah, that's great. Well, as we're kind of running out of time here, um, let's end with um, you, Jen. Um, is there is there anything that you'd like to, like how, how can our listeners connect with you? What are you working on now that you might want to tell them about? And Sure. Yeah. Well, I have a website. It's jenoshman.com where I blog sometimes and I have a sometimes weekly podcast called All Things. And I'd love for you to find my writing and um, podcasting there. Um, my book, Enough About Me, is already out from Crossway last year. I'd love for you to grab a copy of that. And then next year, also published by Crossway um, in March 2022, my second book called So Much More. The subtitle is Rejecting the Empty Promises of Our Age and Embracing the Goodness of Our God. Um, where I discuss uh, many of these issues, many of these idols of our age that have been very winsome and have um, wooed girls and women over the last several decades. And they've promised life, but they've delivered death. And um, there's five specific idols that I sort of go after in that book. Um, the first one is outward appearance and ability. Um, the second is cheap sex and hookup culture. The third is the abortion industry. 
The fourth is the LGBTQ spectrum. And then the fifth is a sort of hidden idol of our age that's hidden in the church, and it's that of marriage and motherhood. So these are five idols where women have been told you can find your identity and your fulfilling mm. and your calling. But um, the truth is we can only find that in our maker and our savior in God above. So my hope is to just draw women back to who he is and how he made us and that we might find peace and joy and contentment there. So, so much more out next spring. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Um, we'll put, we'll link to all those, your website and everything like that and your podcast in the show notes, but thank you again, Jen, so much for being here and talking about this. I know I've learned a lot and I'm sure our church listening has learned a lot as well. So we really appreciate you being here. Uh, thank you church for listening again. Um, check out all of Jen's, uh, books and her podcasts and blogs and everything like that stay connected with her. Um, also keep referring back to our, uh, trending page on fathomchurch.org slash trending to get more resources on this topic, as well as other ones that we'll, uh, be getting to shortly in the future. So that's it for today, church. Um, We love you and we'll catch you next time.